We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back. It's the Babylon Singularity Podcast with your host, Peter Herder. Today, we're going to get into Revelation chapter 17. That might not seem like a big deal to you, but trust me, it is a big deal. Revelation chapter 17 tells us the mystery of the beast. It gives us detail that we didn't have in the last couple of episodes. Now, remember, I told you, I begged you, I pleaded with you to please set aside all of the interpretive grid and details and decryption methods that we bring immediately into the text and just listen to the story, right? I begged you, I, and I believe that you, I believe that you um, did that. Well, I mean, I, I believe some of you were able to do that. It's actually a very difficult, that's a, that's a big ask to like put aside everything that you've come to like understand about a, a, a kind of a cryptic passage is difficult. But what I was hoping to do was just be able to tell the story. And I think the story came through. I believe it did. Of course, I'm probably overestimating my ability to communicate. I overestimate all sorts of things when it comes to myself. But I'm just going to go ahead and and just, just boldly continue in this, you know confidence that you guys are tracking right along with what, what I'm saying. <laughs> God help me. Um, so I told the story of the beast. I told this, uh, no, sorry, back it up. I told the story of the dragon. It's the story of the dragon begins in chapter 12 of Revelation, continues in Revelation chapter 13. And what I was asking was like, let's not get bogged down into the interpretive details so that we can just hear the story. And then once we understand the story, then we'll go back with the interpretive details, which I promised I would do. And Revelation chapter 17, give me the keys to do just that. So Revelation 12 and 13 told the story of the dragon. What's the story of the dragon? Well, the dragon appears in heaven. He sees it. uh, John sees the dragon in heaven standing before a woman who's about to give birth. The woman is Israel. The child she is giving birth to is the Messiah. The Messiah escapes the dragon, ascends to the throne of God. The dragon is expelled from heaven realizes he has lost his place in heaven, loses his mind in fury, goes after the woman, goes after Israel, pursues her. She is given wings in which she um, flees into the wilderness. Then the dragon comes again to sweep her away once and for all with a flood. But the earth comes to the woman's aid, comes to Israel's aid. And once again, the dragon's purpose is thwarted. Then the dragon stomps off in fury to do what? To go make war with the saints. So he failed to devour the Messiah. He fails to destroy Israel. 
Now what's this, now what's the plan? The plan now is to make war with the saints. And we saw in Revelation chapter 13 the continuing of that campaign of the dragon. So this is the story of the dragon, right? And I, I can't even remember how many parts there were in the story right now, but I know there's part one, the invisible campaign where Satan is in the heavens behind the scenes. And it is from behind the scenes that the dragon tries to devour the son of God and tries to destroy Israel. So the devil could not be seen. He was not acting physically directly in the earth. He's working behind the scenes to do it. So instead of being able to try to devour the son of God, he's got to use, you know, Pilate. He's got to use Judas. He's got to use these puppets of his on the earth that he can work through them, but he cannot work directly in the earth. He's behind the, he's behind a dimensional barrier that is keeping him out. He's locked out. He, the, the dragon works through the emperor Hadrian, right, to expel the Jewish people from their land, changes the name of Judea to Palestine, to erase the Jews. The, the Jewish people escape into diaspora. They're dispersed into the nations. They find refuge. Satan, again, from behind the scenes, uh, raises up Adolf Hitler the Nazi party in Germany to come against the Jews again, this time to wipe them off the earth with the final solution, the Holocaust. The earth comes to Israel's aid. The modern state of Israel is born and the dragon stomps off to go make war with the saints. That was the invisible campaign of the dragon. Revelation 13 tells of the visible or physical or seen campaign of the dragon. The dragon comes into the earth. Remember John looking up into the sky, sees the dragon in heaven. Dragon stomps off in fury after he realizes he, he's, he's failed, goes off to make war with the saints. John's attention turns to the sea. He's no longer looking in the sky. He's now looking on the earth. And from the sea, a beast arises. And what's that beast? Who is that beast? What is that beast? That beast is the continuation of the dragon. The seven-headed dragon that was waging war in heaven is now a seven-headed beast waging war on the earth. What war, you ask? What war would this beast be waging? The answer to that is the same exact war that the dragon was war was waging, right? Went off to make war with the saints. So we know when the seven-headed dragon lands, uh, breaks through the dimensional barrier and is working directly in our earth, he no longer needs to work through Judas Iscariot. He, need, he doesn't need Hadrian, the emperor Hadrian anymore. He doesn't need a guy like Adolf Hitler that he can play like a puppet. He doesn't need those guys because now he can act directly in the earth. The God of war, this dragon God of war that went to war against heaven, now going to war against the saints, is now 
in the earth directly. The seven-headed dragon becomes the seven-headed beast. What does he do? He makes war with the saints. He's given power to overcome them. So first, first, uh, first objective on the, the agenda for the dragon is to quell all resistance. He needs to subdue the earth. And that is when he comes, he brings the war. It's the four horses of the apocalypse, right? The first horse, the, the, the white uh, horse rider goes out to subdue the earth. This is the, this is the dragon subduing the earth. And how is he doing it? He's doing it through the second horse, the war horse, the, the, the horse of war, right? Subduing the earth through war. So he's going out, he's subduing all resistance. Part of that campaign, the primary objective, the greatest resistance the dragon faces is from the saints. The kingdom of God is the single greatest threat to the dragon's agenda. And so you know, you bet your bottom dollar that that dragon coming to earth as the beast, his top priority is to rid the world of the kingdom of God. That is his greatest threat. That is his greatest agenda. So this seven-headed beast comes, wages war, and then the, the, once the resistance has been quelled, once the earth is subdued, once the... Once the, the beast is allowed to conquer the saints, then phase two of the dragon's agenda. What's that? He wants to onboard the nations. He wants to bring them all under his power. They, he wants to mark them all. He wants them all to worship him. And most importantly, he wants to destroy the image of God in God's creation. So when the dragon comes to wage this war, he is expelling God from the creation. He's, ex he's going to war against the saints, quelling all resistance. And then he's going into the, the fallen who, have, um, who are his, he claims as his own, who marvel at his coming, who worship him at his coming. These are his people. But when he looks at his people, he still sees the image of God in his people. And so he wants to expel, get rid of, extinguish the image of God in creation. So he turns his evil gaze to his people to mark them permanently, to change them fundamentally permanently, to displace the image of God with the image of the beast, the worship of the beast. Remember in Psalms that the, the Bible says, Scripture says plainly and clearly that we become like what we worship. So when the fallen, these ones that the dragon claims as his own, his people are marked in their right hand, their foreheads, they worship the image of the beast. Those who do not worship the image 
are slain. He kills those who will not worship him. Why? Because he wants the image of God out. This is the abomination of desolation. This is taking the temple that God has created in each human frame and extinguishing the image of God in each human frame. So they are unredeemable forever. They are fit for nothing but worship of the dragon and the wrath of God. Worship of Satan and the wrath of God. That is all they are fit for at that point. Once they take the mark, once they worship the image, once they welcome this abomination of desolation, the, the desolating of the human frame, the temple of God. This is, the, this is how the dragon, this is his campaign to expel God. Why? Because he is the destroyer. He wants to destroy God's creation. He's come to destroy. That's his thing. That's how he rolls. <sighs> so this is, this is the story of the dragon. The dragon becomes the beast. So I just wanted to tell the story. I feel like I did that. I hope I did it well. I hope it made some sense to, to people out there. But what I wanted to do was just shelve the interpretive details just so we would get the story straight initially. And then we would come back later and apply some of the details. This is the episode where we come back later to apply the details. So we got Revelation 12, check. Revelation 13, check. We understand the story of the dragon. We understand that the dragon is coming into the earth as the beast. We understand that the false prophet, this counterfeit Messiah, will deceive the fallen with his words and his false signs in order to onboard them with the dragon's campaign and make them forever his, his people forever. So once we understand the story of the dragon, we understand the role of the false prophet. We understand the overarching story of Revelation 12 and 13. Now we can jump ahead to Revelation 17. Why would we jump to 17? Because in Revelation 17, John is given the interpretive details. Because, okay, we, we see the beast in Revelation 13, but, and we understand the story that's being told. We get it. We understand what's happening. But what we don't understand is what the beast is. It, okay, we understand it has seven heads and it has ten horns, but what what are these things? What are the heads? What are the horns? What, what is all of this about? So Revelation 17 tells the story of the beast. Now remember, this is not the first time the Bible talks about this beast. The first time this beast is mentioned is in the prophecies of the, of the prophet Daniel. Daniel tells of four beasts that will reign from Nebuchadnezzar until the reign of Jesus Christ. Daniel tells of four empires that will rule. He tells, he tells of a lion empire, that's Nebuchadnezzar. He tells of a bear empire, that's Persia. 
Did I say Nebuchadnezzar or did I say Babylon? I'm sorry. Let me back that up because I'm, I'm confusing myself here. A lion, a lion empire, Babylon, bear empire, Persia. Then there's the third empire. It's a leopard. That's Alexander. And then there's a fourth empire that's different than the three empires before it. It's not like any animal. It's made out of metal. It has bronze claws, and it has iron teeth. This beast is not like anything that is on the earth. This thing is, this thing would terrify. Daniel sees it. He's terrified, and he sees on the beast, there's 10 horns, and later in the, and, and I, I honestly, if, if you want more detail on these prophecies, I, addre- I, I address Daniel fully in the uh, episode, uh, I don't know which episode exactly, it's season one, if you go back to season one of the podcast and you want to get the details on those prophecies, because they are very important, especially in the, in the conversation we're going to have today, to understand the prophecies of Daniel 7 and Daniel 2 specifically. But there's a fourth beast that has 10 horns. The, the angel comes along and tells Daniel, those 10 horns are 10 kings. So Daniel sees a beast with 10 horns that are 10 kings. And then he sees another little horn that comes up along and, and displaces three of the horns. Um, and so Daniel is given a picture of the beast with 10 horns. He sees the, the, the beast with 10 horns. The exact same scenario John sees. He sees a beast with 10 horns. So the beast with 10 horns that Daniel saw is the same beast with 10 horns that John saw. Like God is giving revelation about the final empire before Jesus returns. Because in Daniel 7, it says of this metal terrifying uh, beast that it will be destroyed and it will not continue. It It will come to a sudden end. What will bring this final empire to a sudden end? It's the return of Jesus. The return of Jesus brings the final empire to a sudden end and it does not continue anymore. Like the, unlike the empires of Babylon, Persia, and Greece that went on in various forms for a while, they continued on, the final empire, this final metal beast with 10 horns will abruptly be stopped in its tracks with the return of Jesus. Now we see that same picture playing out in Daniel chapter two of a a statue. You know, remember Daniel seven tells of four beasts. Daniel two tells of a statue with five parts. It's important that we get these things straight because (laughs) it could be confusing. All right. It could be confusing. Like what? Hold on. There's four beasts, but five parts to the statue. Yes. There is. Well, how does that make sense? Why would there be five parts to a statue and four beasts? I'm glad you 
asked, and there's lots of opinions, and there's lots of interpretation, and there's lots of understanding. So please go out there and just fill your cup with every interpretation known to man. Have at it. Here is my take on the situation, okay? This is how I see what's playing out, okay? And again, I'm one voice among many. Lots of people have lots to say about this issue in particular. Okay, but here's my take. There's five parts in the statue, right? Same string of empires. It's, it tells the story of the empires that will reign from Nebuchadnezzar until the reign of Jesus. So you've got a head of gold, which is Babylon. You've got a chest of silver, which is Persia. You've got a midsection of bronze, which is Greece. Then you have legs of iron, which is Rome. And then finally you have feet that mixes the iron and clay together. And it is those feet that are struck with a giant rock that comes from heaven and destroys the statue completely. And the statue blows away. The dust of the statue blows away, never to be remembered again. (laughs) It's just funny that God, like, you know, God's like, yeah, um, all of your amazing empires. Yeah. I'm going to smash it into dust and then blow it away in the wind. (laughs) It's just funny. I mean, because, man, we put a lot of work into those empires, Lord. You know, like, Lord, we've got thousands of years and a lot of manpower. A lot of hours of our best achievements are wrapped up in those empires. Like, come on, can't we have a museum or something? Yeah, isn't there something like in heaven where they're like, oh, man, Rome was great. Oh, dude, Babylon was amazing. Like, no. I'm going to smash it into dust and the wind's going to blow it away. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. I mean, I, I know like a lot of historians are probably weeping right now, but um, the good news is, is God's got a really good memory. And, you know, I mean, if we ever needed to reference anything that happened in human history, I'm sure we could do that. But uh, the remnant of these empires is going to be smashed, destroyed. What is going to destroy these empires? What's the return of Jesus? Because it's that rock that then becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. What's the rock that becomes a mountain that fills the whole That's the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. That's Jesus's kingdom that reigns forever. Hallelujah. But that rock that smashes the statue and he specifically smashes the final phase of human empire. What is that final phase? The final phase is a mixture of iron and clay. Well, iron, that's funny because the legs were made out of iron. Oh, right. And the legs were Rome. Okay, cool. So we know that Rome came up after Greece so that they are the Roman Empire are the legs of iron. But then there's this final phase where the iron then becomes mixed with clay. So there's some sort of weird thing that happens at the end where the iron gets mixed up with clay. Now, like this is what I like to call the transhuman, the mixing of man and machine where we actually merge together with our technology. So I'm just giving you a little precursor, but just go ahead and you can shelve that. Just shelve it for now and just listen to the, the biblical narrative. So legs of iron, final expression, 
the feet of iron and clay. Rock comes and smashes it. So that's so we so we know that that's the string of empire, right? It's, we got Babylon, we got Persia, we got Greece, then we got Rome, all the way to the very end. Then right at the very end, there's some sort of weird mixture of iron and clay. We don't really understand it, but that's the final expression of Rome. And boom, it's smashed, turned to dust, blows away the wind. Okay, that's that's the series of empire. Okay, now you fast forward to Daniel seven. You've got the four beasts, right? Same same exact prog- progression: Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then finally, there's no legs of iron in this beast. It just fast forwards to the final expression demonstrated in the in the in the statue. So when you're looking at the beasts, why is there four? Well, because we don't have a beast that represents Rome in its initial phase, right? We have a beast that the final expression of Rome, which the original Rome is kind of wrapped up in the final expression of Rome. So it's all kind of tied together. That's why the legs of iron ends up being uh, a mixture of iron and clay, because the legs of iron are, are deeply fundamentally tied, connected together with the feet. So you don't necessarily have to look at the feet and then also, you know, go make a huge distinction between the feet and the legs because they're all tied together. And we see that tying together in the fourth beast. This is the final expression of transhuman Rome. Again, I threw it in there, transhuman Rome. Why? Why would I do that? Because this is the same reality. Daniel sees the empire that's mixed with iron and clay. What do you mean he sees the iron and clay? The beast, the fourth beast that he sees, the terrifying beast, has teeth of iron. Okay. So the beast has iron in it. So we could say, okay, so that's, that's the iron part. Okay. But how do we know that's not the, just the legs of iron? Well, we know that in two ways, because this beast that has iron teeth also has 10 horns, like together it's merged together with 10 horns. What are those 10 horns? Those are 10 human Kings. So this beast is a, is a mixture of iron the iron of the teeth and the clay of the human flesh, right? Together, all wrapped up together. It's a unity. Um, It's merged together. The merging of iron and clay, the merging of this beast with these 10 Kings all together is this final expression of Rome. So we know that it's, we know we're looking at the feet of iron and clay, because there's teeth of iron, there's, there's 10 kings of clay. But then we also know it's the iron and clay because it is the fourth beast that comes to a sudden end. Just like the feet of iron and clay are destroyed with the rock of the kingdom of God. So the fourth terrifying beast with iron, iron teeth and kings, 10 kings on it, is suddenly destroyed So suddenly destroyed by the kingdom of God. So those two empires are the same. The feet of iron clay is the same as the fourth beast with iron teeth. So this is speaking of this final climactic ending of Rome, the Roman Empire. Now, Daniel says some very interesting things. Now, remember... You know, Daniel's prophesying this 500 years before the rise of Rome. Up until that point, the world only knew about kingdoms. I mean, Daniel's living in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. Like, human kingdom, here's the thing about kingdoms. 
kingdoms are the extension of the king, right? So the power of the kingdom originates with its king, and then the king extends himself through his kingdom. That's why when Daniel saw the lion empire, the lion symbolized Nebuchadnezzar. That's who, that's, that was the symbol for Nebuchadnezzar. He was the, the, the point of origin. He is the source of power. What his, what he decided to do was done. His word was law. However, whatever, however, like Nebuchadnezzar didn't take votes, right? He didn't, he didn't ask his citizenry like, Okay, guys, we're going to decide if we're going to put up a huge statue in the plain of Dura and have everybody worship it. Let's go ahead and put that to a vote. I'm sure everybody would have voted that down. They'd have been like, what? No. First of all, we don't want to walk out there. Number two, who's going to feed the hogs? Number three, well, the statue part sounds pretty cool, but worshiping it sounds horrible, right? Like, I'm sure like, if, if Nebuchadnezzar would have put it to a vote, they would have voted it down. Point is, Nebuchadnezzar decides, hey, this is the greatest idea I've come up with. Then guess what? Guess what Babylon's doing that day? Babylon, all of Babylon's going out to the plain of Dura to worship a huge statue that uh, Nebuchadnezzar commissioned to have built, right? Like, nobody got a vote. The king is is the source of power. He's the one who originates it. So the same thing with Persia, Cyrus, same thing with uh, with Alex. Alex, me and Alex, we're close. You know, we're tight. (laughs) Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great in Greece. Alexander is the source of power of his empire, right? It emanates. It it radiates from the king. The king is the center of power. What he wills, what he wants. The kingdom is an extension of the king. You get it. Rome comes along. It is the first time in history. History, that the source of power is not with a human king. It is not wrapped up in a human king. In fact, in early Rome, the idea of people making themselves kings was anathema. It was cursed. In fact, if you, if, if, if somebody thought you were trying to make yourself a king, a king over Rome, they had legal right to kill you where you stood. Like if someone thought like, oh, like if I was looking over, over at my neighbor and he, he was putting up signs in his yard that said, yeah, I'm, I'm Bob and I'm, you know, I'm doing every, whatever I can to become king of Rome. And I saw him over there going, dude, this guy is trying to make himself a king. He's trying to make himself the sole source, the originator of power over Rome. I, by Roman law, not only was entitled, not only had the right to go kill him, I was supposed to go kill him. I was supposed to go kill that guy because the idea of a king was despised, absolutely despised. Well, where did the power come from? Where was the power in Rome? It was found in two components. The power of Rome is summed up 
in a four-letter acronym that you may or may not be um, acquainted with. The four letters S P Q R. Uh, many times, those that acronym was displayed on coins or in banners, uh, displayed in Rome in various ways. S P Q R. What did that mean? What what is S P Q R? S is Senate. P is people. Q is some sort of Latin that I have no idea what it means. <laughs> and R is Rome. Okay. So you got the Senate and people of Rome, right? Those were the two components of Roman government. The Senate and the people of Rome. It's not, it wasn't ruled by a king. It wasn't a monarchy. It is a republic. The idea of a republic is that there's no one man who serves as the sole source of power. The power rests in the people. It is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. So rather than having one guy who called the shots and the kingdom just being an extension of that one guy and just hoping that that one guy was cool and knew what he was doing, which a lot of times happened, just the guy just was just a, just a knucklehead moron and he was out to, you know, you know, get his kicks or whatever. Like that, that, that was the problem with monarchy is you, you end up with the, the wrong guy most of the time. With the Republic, the people, the citizens of Rome were the was the pool of power, the will of the people, what the people wanted was how power extended through. So it's a fully participatory government, not one guy sitting in his castle dreaming up what he wants to do next, but a citizenry, a people, a community wherein the power of Rome rested and a Senate that was supposed to represent those people in real ways. So the people would extend their power through the Senate. So the component of Rome, this legs of iron and feet of iron and clay, ultimately, this fourth beast of iron teeth and human kings, the power of that government, the governmental structure was not in a king, but in its people, in its citizenry. It is this power structure, this governmental structure is summed up in the four letters of the acronym SPQR, the Senate and People of Rome. Ah, so we have these four empires that will r rule from Nebuchadnezzar until the end. We get some glimpse into this final empire, which consists of, from what we read in Revelation chapter 13, a beast that has seven heads. It has 10 
horns, and this beast is providing the medium for Satan to continue his campaign physically and directly in the earth. It's an entity that wages war. It's an entity that speaks blasphemously. It's an entity that the nations marvel at. It's an entity. It's a single entity with multiple components. First, it has seven heads. Then it has 10 horns and it has what, 10 diadems on its heads. So there's these different realities to this beast. There's different symbols that are in this beast. Because remember, God is telling the story. He's not like, this isn't a actual beast that's going to, you know, uh, you know, th these are these. Are, this is the way God is describing this final phase of the Roman Empire, this final transhuman, this merging of iron and clay. Right, the feet of iron and clay, the beast of iron teeth and ten kings merged together. Now we're seeing that same entity come to Earth to continue the dragon's campaign of war. Revelation chapter 17 shows us the final empire. Revelation chapter 17 pops the hood on this beast reality that we saw in Daniel. This beast reality that we see in Revelation 13. What is this beast? But Revelation chapter 17 answers two questions. Number one, what is the beast? Answers the second question, what is the great prostitute? Who is this great prostitute? Which we haven't, I feel a little bit conflicted because we have spent zero time on that element, but I think it's important that this is actually a good place to introduce the great prostitute. Without further ado, here, <laughs> we'll dive right in. Um, I'm not going to get into um, all of the details here. I actually wrote a book called Babylon that does go extensively into um, this particular subject the subject of Babylon the Great, the, the harlot, the whore, the prostitute, the great prostitute, however you want to sum it up. Now, a lot of people have said a lot of different things about Babylon. You know, you've got um, Bob Marley singing about coming, you know, Babylon this and Babylon that. Um, a lot of people use it as a, you know, just kind of a, a way to describe materialism and worldly things. Um, but what is at play here is uh, much deeper. It actually has its inception with the Tower of Babel. 
So we got to remember it all the way back to the Tower of Babel. What were they up to back in those days? Uh, they were using their technology to build into the sky. Why did they want to build into the sky? Because they thought they could go into the clouds and become gods. That's why they did that. Um, God stopped them, right? God stopped them from doing what they were going to do. He confused their language because that was only the beginning of what they would do. And anything that they would imagine would become possible to them. So God said, we got to stop this. And he did. He used the confusion of languages to disperse the people. They couldn't work together anymore. So they were no longer of one mind. Now, at the end of the age, the world will become of one mind again. They will become of one speech and one mind. And what will they do? They'll use their technology to build into the clouds. Why will they do that? Because they want to become gods for the exact same thing. This is just the Tower of Babel actually playing out. Now, we think that like from the human perspective, we think, oh, this is so cool. We've got some really cool technology and our gadgets can do basically anything. I mean, this says a lot about how far we've come and what's possible. And we think it's really cool. God, when God symbolizes all of it, he says, it is a giant prostitute. Oh, wow. Prostitute. Huh. Yeah. So the prostitute, what is the prostitute? What is this great prostitute? Well, it's simple. It's the antithesis of the bride, right? Jesus is preparing a bride without spot, without wrinkle, faithful and true. Her heart is for her king, her Messiah, her heart is for another. The bride is moved by love, right? The love of the other. That is the, the bride, faithful and true, making herself ready for her wedding day. The prostitute isn't interested in love. The prostitute is moved by lust. She wants things for herself. She doesn't really care. She might be mesmerized. She might marvel and like her lusts may attach onto some new shiny thing, but she doesn't love. No, her motivation is lust. It's about her, what she gets. So this is the antithesis of the bride. Now, again, I'm not going to get into the minute detail. And in fact, I'll probably leave an episode for later for when we can kind of do a deep dive into the great prostitute. But for now, John sees this prostitute. Who is this prostitute? This prostitute is the antithesis of the bride, the antithesis of the people of God. This is the community of the fallen. This is the this is the people of the dragon. These are the ones who uh, turn their back on God to chase another lover. They didn't want their creator. They wanted to be seduced. They wanted to be deluded. They wanted to go after deception. This is the whore, the harlot that turns her back on her God, her husband, her lover, her true lover, and she turns her back and she goes after the dragon, after the shiny thing that she thinks will best serve her lust. This is the prostitute. This is the people. And what does, and what is, who is, the, who are these people? This is Babylon the Great, the city of the damned, the city of the godless, the city of those who, 
do not want the creator, the city of those who want to join the dragon's rebellion against the creator. This is Babylon the Great, the city, the great city, the antithesis of New Jerusalem, the city of God, the community of the saints that comes down from heaven and lasts, endures forever, the kingdom of God. This is the opposite. This isn't New Jerusalem. This is Babylon. This isn't the bride. This is the whore. This is not the people of God. These are the fallen who have joined Satan's rebellion. That is who. So when you look at the prostitute, that's what you're looking at. So just a brief introduction again of the prostitute, just to have some context of what, what John is seeing. Now, I've basically used up all my time on the introduction here. What am I doing? Uh, we're, I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to bring it down to an end here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this up into three parts. I'm going to break Revelation chapter 17 up into three parts. Well, at least three parts, maybe more. We'll see. Uh, right now I'm thinking three parts. This is the overview. This is the introduction. This is why Revelation 17 is very important. I'm going to give the quick outlay of the land, a quick overview of what John is seeing. So that is Part one of Revelation 17, the overview, the introduction and overview of Revelation chapter 17. And then the next two parts, I will go into what is part two will be what is the beast? And then part three will be what is the prostitute? But for now, what I want to do is Look briefly in Revelation chapter 17 and given I've given the introduction. I've gone long enough on the introduction. Now giving an overview of Revelation 17. What is being seen here? So Lord, we ask you to open your word to us now. Open your word. We open we open our hearts to you, God. We ask you to change us and transform us. Lead us by your spirit. Help us to see these things that you have made known. In your word, God, we ask for eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask for a heart that obeys, that loves and worships and prays and follows you all of our days. God, we want to be faithful. We want to be true. We want to be moved by love for you and love for your people and love for this lost and dying world and be proclaiming your gospel to the end. God, we just ask you, open your word to us now. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. Mm -hmm. 
The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So John, in this, and we're just kind of picking up in the middle of, an, of uh, another passage here. So abruptly, John, after the seven bowls of wrath are poured out, one of the seven angels that had one of the bowls of wrath comes and says to John, hey, I'm going to show you the mystery. Of, I'm going to show you two mysteries. Wait a second. Did I? Wait a second. <laughs> he didn't quite say that yet, did he? Let's go ahead and keep reading. Verse, picking up verse 6. When I saw her, so John says when he sees the prostitute, it says, John says, I marveled greatly. Verse 7. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. So the angel is going to show, wants to show John, reveal the mystery, two mysteries. The first is the prostitute. What's the deal with the prostitute? Who's the prostitute? And secondly, the mystery of the beast. So the angel is going to reveal these two mysteries, the prostitute and the beast. So this angel that poured out one of the seven bowls of wrath comes to John and says, look, I'm going to show you something and then I'm going to show you what this means. So he goes out and he shows, he shows John, he carries John away in the spirit and John sees the beast, the same beast we read about in Revelation chapter 13, the beast with seven heads and 10 horns. But this time, the beast is not alone. This time when John sees the mystery, he sees the prostitute on the back of the beast riding together. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's kind of this crazy vision, right? Like, I mean, like, it looks like they're having a good time, right? I mean, the 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 seven-headed beast and the I mean everything everything's looking hunky-dory for the beast and the prostitute. I mean, later on it doesn't turn out hunky-dory either for the prostitute or for the beast. They both end up being burned with fire, right? And so so like but this is before all of that. This is this is when things are good. This is like, you know, a picture of a, you know, a, a sweet, you know, uh, <laughs> a sweet girl on riding on the back of her horse. Like you go like, Oh, a girl on her horse riding around. That's the best man. Just, Oh, just so happy and, and carefree and riding around. And man, that's just, just fun and beautiful. Of course, that's <laughs> kind of the opposite of what's actually going on, but it's kind of the, the feeling you get like, Okay, John, you go out, and what do you see? 
ah, a prostitute on the back of a seven-headed beast. Isn't that, this is so nice. This is, they're having a moment together. The beast and the prostitute are, are really just, you know, enjoying each other at this point, which isn't actually true. They, they, don't, they don't really care for each other. But, um, but here they are together, unified, the prostitute riding together on the beast with seven heads and ten horns. John, what are you, when you see the beast and the prostitute together, riding together, a unity together, what are you seeing? John is seeing this final empire in its moment of glory. This is like, this is like, it's all basically downhill from here, from this, this empire. Like there's like this, there's like this moment where the prostitute rides on the beast and they're really enjoying each other and everything seems like it's working out great. seems like they're just going to ride off into the sunset and, and really just enjoy each other forever. Right. Like, like you just get that feeling like, Oh, this is like the end of the movie where they, they ride off into the sunset problem is this is not the end of the movie this is like i don't know three quarters of the way through the movie like there's a whole nother portion of the movie that has yet to play out and in that part of the movie both the prostitute gets burned and the beast gets burned they, they all get burned up and, and so like so this is definitely like not like a uh uh you know uh romantic comedy or or some sort of happy ending deal at all. This is, this is like, this is like a horror movie. This is a horror movie where you're like, oh, the monster and the, and the, and the people are getting along just fine right now. This is awesome. You know, Frankenstein's really buddying up to, to the folks in town. I think they're, I think this is going to really work out. (laughs) It's just funny. John is seeing the climactic moment of this final empire, right? The same empire that Daniel saw with the mixture of iron and clay in the feet of the, the statue. This is the same fourth beast of the, the beast with the ten horns. This is the final greatest height of this reality. So what are you seeing, John, this this transhuman, this mixture of iron and clay empire. But the, the prostitutes on the back, well, what is this? This is the engine of the final empire. This is the power center of it. This is the same way that Babylon was based in Nebuchadnezzar that the power of Babylon originated and radiated out of Nebuchadnezzar the same way the powerful empire of Greece originated and radiated forth from Alexander is the same way this final expression of this final human his the final human empire in history this is the core reactor this is the engine the power source of this final transhuman empire 
that has been prophesied about, that we've been talking about, that I've been podcasting almost 40 podcasts about. This is the core reactor. This is like being on the, the Star Trek Enterprise, right? For all you Trekkies out there. For those who don't watch Star Trek, I apologize right now. I'm, I'm going to geek out a little bit. But like, let's just say, and I'm going to go with Next Generation here just because, uh, you know, I know the guys from the old, old school one, and I know that's like the OG Star Trek, but like I just never watched it. So, so I don't really know any guys. I know there's, uh, you know... Spock and the other guys, but like, okay, so you're on, you're on the ship with Captain Picard. And let's just say, you know, you're, you're like being, you're given, you know, the red carpet by Picard. Like you want to see anything, go ahead and see this ship and, and, and the ship, the enterprise, this isn't the enterprise. We're calling this the fourth beast ship. Right. And, and we're given access to anything we want on this whole ship. And we're like, oh, my goodness, there's so many facets to this ship. And Picard's like, right. And I'm telling you, anything you want, anything you want to know about this ship, we, we will show it to you in entirety. We'll, we'll, we'll show you the ro- anything you want. And you think about it and go, well, you know, the holodeck was pretty cool, right? I mean, we could go solve some, some mysteries on the holodeck. <laughs> Star Trek geek right now i am just geeking out big time but then you think like no you know what i want to know like how in the world does this ship fly around light speed all over the universe and just never run out of gas like that that's that like that like man i just gotta really know what it is that makes this ship go everywhere i want to know the power source i need to know the source of power how does this work and then Captain Picard's like, I, you know, I've had that question many times. And Jordy has, you know, probably probably takes Jordy and Data probably to explain it. So you, you're going down with Data. You're going down with Jordy. And you're going down into the core reactor of the, the warp core of the Enterprise. And, and you know, I don't even can't even remember how, like the, the, the trilithium crystals they go in, they show you the core of the core of the core, and they pull it back, and they go, this is the source of power to the the Enterprise. And you're like, what? What? This is crazy. How does that all work? And they get, they tell you the physics of it and all that. Okay, I don't want to bore you. I'm, I'm, I'm gone, gone too long on the Star Trek thing. This is what John is seeing with the final Empire. He is seeing... He is Geordi and Data are opening the warp core of the Enterprise. You're looking at the core of it. And what is the core of this empire? It is S-P-Q-R. You're looking at the core components of the Roman Empire. The Senate and the people of Rome. That reality, the SPQR reality, is the core reactor of power. You're looking at the Senate and the people of Rome. Now, what does that mean? John sees the beast with seven heads 
and ten horns. That is the Senate. On the back of this beast is a prostitute. The prostitute is, symbolizes the people of Rome. It's what you have to understand about the Roman Empire and especially true about the final phase of the Roman Empire is that it is a fully participatory government. It is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And if you think that we have great power in America to sway our government, and a lot of people maybe think, like, well, no, actually we don't. But if the power of a simple vote extends our power into government, the technological ability for individuals to participate in their government is going to be vastly increased to the point where the participants of the government, the, the decisions, the policy making, the laws, how people interact, how those laws are shaped, and how this the people interact and participate in oneness with the Senate, the representatives of the, the citizenry will be vastly and meet vastly increased meet its full potential in this final expression of transhuman Rome. The mixture of iron and clay, the mixture of the merging of man and machine, the merging of demons and humans together to create a conglomerate, a coalition, a confederacy of the fallen together all fully participating together. When John sees the beast, he sees the Senate. When he sees the prostitute, he sees the people. This is the Senate and people of Rome, the core reactor, the core reality of history's final empire. Why is that important? Because listening to folks talk about the Antichrist, you would think we should expect a dictatorship. You would think we should expect some sort of rise uh, of the Nazi party. We would, you would think we would expect a power structure, a governmental power structure that is based on kingdom monarchy based in one person, one man. But that is not the picture here. The picture here is of a citizenry fully participating together with the beast. These people are not, the citizenry of Babylon are not being forced. They're not being coerced. This is not 1930s Germany where 
most people are just thinking like, I don't want to lose my job. If I could make Hitler go away, I would, but I have no power. This whole thing's playing out. And now I got to go out into the street and, and, and stick up my hands to Adolf Hitler. Like I, if I, if you give me the choice, if you take all this madness away and give me the choice, I'm going to say, I don't want any of it. I'll, I'll take it, go away. They were forced. They were coerced. They were bullied by a bully. The Third Reich was based in Adolf Hitler, not in the will of the German people. Now, the force of his will and the demonic power behind Adolf Hitler forced people into, the, into agreement, forced them. Because if you didn't, your, your house got burned, your, your business got burned, you got beat up, there's also, you lost your job. There's all, all sorts of reasons why people were coerced and forced into the Nazi party. But this is not the scenario that we see playing out here. What we see here is the Senate, the people of Rome, fully agreeing, fully participating, not because they're forced, but because they're seduced. Why are they seduced? They're seduced by Satan's vision for their future. They're seduced by a great delusion. There's all sorts of reasons why they're seduced, and every single one of them have to do with lawlessness, with being lovers of pleasure, lovers of themselves. That is the core reality of the prostitute. She is a lover of herself. She's more, she is committed to lust. It has no place for love. So when John is given, when, when John walks through the Star Trek, through the Enterprise, and Data and Jordy show him the warp core and the trilithium crystals behind the scenes, Ooh, the core reality that powers the ship, that's what John is seeing here. He is seeing the core reality that powers this final rebellion, this final empire. It is S-P-Q-R. The Senate and the people of Rome. Now, I could just keep plowing ahead and, and describe each of those things in detail. I feel like it'd be wiser to leave it here for now. I feel like I've already gone a little bit long. Um, and certainly want to give my full attention in, into what both of those realities are, what both of those realities mean. So the angel tells John, I'm going to show you the mystery of the prostitute, and I'm going to show you the mystery of the beast. So next time, next episode, I'm going to get into the, the, the mystery of the beast. We're going to look at the components of this power uh, entity, how it functions, what are, what its components are. Um, and then in an episode after that, we'll focus in on the prostitute who is 
Who are these? The citizenry of Rome. How does it function? How does it operate? What is the destiny? There are a lot of questions that surround the great prostitute. But for now, I'm just going to leave it with 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 that. Um, so, uh, in, in summary, you know, John is shown a mystery. This is the mystery of the final phase of human empire. This is the final phase of what what Daniel saw in the statue, the feet of iron and clay. This is the the mystery revealed of the fourth beast that Daniel saw in chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7 of the of the of the of the, the beast with 10 horns. This is the final Empire. This is the f- this is the final attempt of Satan to expel again, expel God from His creation, to subdue the earth, make war on the saints, and onboard the fallen. This is all part of it, and John gets to see, gets to pop the hood on this transhuman Rome, and f- see the core reactor the power source that powers the rest of this empire. And it is this power source that God puts his finger on and says, I will bring an end to it forever. I will pour out the dregs of my wrath on this prostitute. And I will burn this beast with fire. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It shall know no end. A rock shall come from heaven and smash the feet of this empire of iron and clay. And all the empires of human history will become dust and blow away in the wind, never to be remembered again. But the kingdom of our God will become a mountain and fill the earth And his kingdom will never end. There is no bounds. There is no limit. It's endless. It goes on and on and on and on forever. And our lives can take that mustard seed of the kingdom of God and in the heart of faith, in a heart of faith, that mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, can grow and you can experience an expansion that never ends. So saints, um, I hope you're blessed by what you're hearing. I'm, I'm asking you if you can Give me a, uh, if you can subscribe to the podcast, let me know you're listening out there. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm sowing, I'm asking the Lord, I'm pressing into this. I need to, I need to know you're out there. Let me know you're out there. Pass this on to others. Let, let others know this is a blessing. Um, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. I'm, I'm glad to be laboring in the kingdom with you. And I'm just blessed and thankful to God to, to be ministering his word. So, Father, thank you. 
Thank you for this episode. Thank you for all the saints who are listening, God. We just ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, every seed that has been planted by you, every seed of truth, God, we just ask, Father, that it would come to full fruition and that um, we would bring forth fruit for your glory, even a hundredfold, Father. So in the name of Jesus, saints, continue to watch, continue to pray, forever proclaim the kingdom of our God, his gospel. We'll see you next time. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.